Hi, everyone. I'm Yoni Asia. I'm the CEO and founder of uh, eToro, the world's largest social trading network. And uh, I actually came here to talk about the rise of the crypto asset class and why I think cryptocurrencies is an important revolution and invention as the invention of electricity, computers, and the internet. Because, of course, without electricity, we couldn't have air conditioning, which is so much needed here. Um, so to start from the top, what I want to explain is why Bitcoin is really the reinvention of money and how important that is. So global commerce all around the world really started by creating technology to enable people to basically exchange between themselves. And up until 25,000 years ago, this started to become basically collectibles. So basically, people started using either rocks or corn or potato to do exchange between themselves, which wasn't very efficient because outside that village that wasn't very efficient. And then 5,000 years ago, gold started becoming the standard of sound money. Now, we live in an era where people assume money is what's called fiat money okay, or government-issued money, uh, which has been with us only for the past roughly uh, 350, 400 years. And actually, what's quite interesting with fiat money is if you ask people what is the problem with Bitcoin, then they say Bitcoin has no intrinsic value or cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value. What's interesting is that fiat money, like the euro or the dollar, the definition of it, is actually it has no intrinsic value. It's not backed by any commodity. So we moved basically from gold to notes that were backed on gold and then to a very interesting invention, which is fiat money, which enabled governments to print money, the local currencies. And that's sort of where we are today, where we assume that government money is the only type of money. But actually, across the last 200 years, that changed a couple of times. So private money existed before the Fed. Uh, and actually, the, the first sort of fiat money uh, was actually introduced from the Bank of Amsterdam. And now suddenly, this invention, the invention of uh, cryptocurrencies, basically created something that acts as gold, which is like why I like to refer to Bitcoin as digital gold. Now, there's a lot of research, obviously, economic research, uh, financial research about money, uh, and also why gold is actually used as sound money. And those are sort of the definitions that were defined across uh, a, a long history of why gold is so efficient as a medium of exchange and unit of account and store of value. And those are roughly the reasons, right? So it's scarce. It's divisible, it's portable, it's durable, it's recognizable, and it's fungible, which for me was a new word to learn, which basically means every part of gold is equal. And then suddenly for the first time, Bitcoin introduced, on top obviously of the Bitcoin blockchain technology, the ability to actually hold financial assets yourself and move them from one place to another digitally. So Bitcoin actually represents the first type of a digital, na native digital asset. And from our view, the way we look at it, and obviously a lot of people on this stage have said it again and again, uh, but I think that's sort of important to understand why we view it in eToro 
as an important asset class is we're at a point in time where basically this changes and suddenly there's a new type of asset class which people can invest in and it's a global and digitally native asset class which moves around the world. So, uh, by the way, at the end of the lecture, I'm going to give a, a bit of surprise and giveaways based on how much you answer my questions. So, how many people here in the room actually own Bitcoin? Okay, perfect. Uh, so, it's a very easy crowd to please. So, basically, Bitcoin is really the reinvention of money, potentially changing the world or changing or complementing the world of fiat currencies or government-backed currencies and creating a new type of asset class. Now on top of that, something really happened last year which accelerated everything. So we actually launched on eToro. On eToro people can trade stocks, commodities, currencies, indices, um, and cryptocurrencies since 2014. And actually for the three years, 2014 to 2017, only about 2% of our customers actually bought Bitcoin. Then suddenly last year, Everyone started buying Bitcoin uh, and other crypto assets on eToro, and now it's more than 80% of users on eToro trade also cryptocurrencies. And what really accelerated everything was the reemergence not only of Bitcoin as potential money, but really of the entire ICO industry. So we added Ethereum into eToro when it was about $8. And then the ICO industry started accelerating, basically growing the value not only of Bitcoin, but of a lot of other big good cryptocurrencies and also a lot of other shitcoins. But the reason this is important is because this is basically disrupting capital formation. So up until now on eToro, for example, we've raised to date $162 million. And I know there's probably a lot of founders here uh, in the crowd. It's really hard and complex to raise money to startups. And you need to be in the right ecosystem. In Israel, for example, there's a good ecosystem of VCs and investors, but also quite limited to a small number of our participants. The ICO industry basically suddenly enabled this new type of crypto asset for people from all over the world to invest in a specific startup. Now, the big difference is if you think about a startup in Israel or a startup here in the Netherlands or a startup anywhere, there's a limited amount of investors locally who will invest in that startup. A few dozen investors probably. When you think about the ICO ecosystem, suddenly in a startup you can have 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people investing in the creation of a new token, which started to accelerate this entire ecosystem because more and more companies realized it's actually easier to raise funds by issuing a new currency or a new token through an ICO than the standard route of raising money. And because of it, over 1,500 companies actually did ICOs. The number is accelerating, and what that created, it created a ripple effect. So if you had only the Bitcoin maximalists at first, which uh, we got ridiculed quite a bit for thinking Bitcoin is interesting as money, then suddenly that grew to 1,500 and more companies around it, which started raising money with Ethereum and with Bitcoin, and it actually created and accelerated this entire space and actually created a lot of companies which suddenly now 
are powered by cryptocurrency, have done their fundraising in cryptocurrency, and are now looking actually to build products on top of uh, basically the crypto community. Now, why is that important? That is really important because we need to understand that these are all mostly millennials. Okay, millennials are actually the biggest population on earth. A lot of time people tell me I'm too old to call myself a millennial. So millennials are from 1981 to 2000. So I'm exactly a millennial. Okay, I can call myself the oldest of millennials. Okay, and, the different, and, and what's really interesting regarding millennials or this new generation, which is the largest generation to ever walk, to ever walk the earth, is that they're actually losing trust in government. So most millennials don't trust governments anymore. When you ask them about it, they will tell you that they don't necessarily trust their local government. And what local government does is obviously regulate the local financial institutions, which for not a big surprise, most millennials don't really trust the local financial institutions who kept the funds and the money of their fathers and grandfathers. Now, millennials are amassing a huge amount of wealth. Uh, research shows that millennials as a generation are now getting about $1 trillion of assets from older generations every year. That's $1 trillion moving from our parents and grandparents to our generation, but generally our entire generation, most of it hasn't really started investing yet. And on eToro, for example, the average age of our customers is about 34, and we see them basically growing their accounts because this is just the beginning of their investing years. So for most millennials, average age is 27, they're just starting to accumulate wealth and discovering investing. And when they're discovering investing, what they're finding out is that the local financial institutions offer them 0% interest rate or even negative interest rate, and a lot of local financial instruments that are not really interesting. Now, this happens every generation. Every generation sort of selects their store of value, and that transforms the global economy. So this is, for example, my grandfather, uh, who died at the age of 99 and actually founded a bank in Switzerland a long time ago in the 60s. And his generation was really about the emergence of gold because of the de-pegging of the US dollar to the gold standard. And that created basically that huge rally on gold. And if you look at this handsome guy, as you can see, by the way, I'm very lucky. This is my father. If you've noticed, both my father and grandfather are bald, but this is my real hair. Um, so, my father is a stock trader. He actually gave me stocks when I was 13 and taught me about how to evaluate stocks and how do you trade in stocks. And basically, his generation, the baby boomers, really grew up to build what we know today as the traditional capital markets. Now, this handsome guy is actually my co-founder and partner in eToro, Ronen Asya. And I just promised him I'm going to show that he's older than me and therefore Generation X. He hasn't really bought into hedge funds ever, but I wanted to explain that the whole hedge fund industry, which is a mutual, uh, a multi-trillion dollar industry, basically all grew based on Generation Xers who amassed that wealth. So if you look at the different types 
of instrument per regeneration, the real question is, if those were the asset classes of this generation, what really happens if more and more millennials actually buy into crypto? So they take their investment part and they say, okay, I don't want to store it in the bank and fiat money. I don't want to invest in local financial instruments. I want to take a portion of that, of the money I save every year, and I want to store it in Bitcoin, in crypto, in Ethereum. And when you look at what, where wealth is accumulated around the world, what's really interesting is despite the fact of the huge 10x rise we saw in crypto, if you look at Bitcoin, it's 0.1% of the total store of values. So it's just a small percent divided by 30 of gold or even divided by 60 of collectible art and of course government bonds which actually generate negative interest. So this is what our grandparents and our parents, that's how they're storing values in financial inst uh, institutions in these instruments. But if our generation actually invests in crypto and puts more and more wealth into crypto, then the potentially obviously of another 10x is almost uh, immediate. Now, the millennials, the largest cohort, are actually going to be worth $24 trillion by 2020. So the entire crypto industry, which is now around $350 billion, is actually a drop in the ocean for the richest cohort of people who are going to walk the earth, who don't trust banks, who don't trust financial institutions and governments, and want to hold their own money. So what do you need to do, either as a millennial, by the way, or even if you're not a millennial and you're older and you're figuring out that's what's going to happen, how do you actually get into the space? And important thing is that you can actually learn and evaluate. A lot of people say that stocks, and of course, Oni Toro, a lot of people trade stocks. I also trade stocks. I love tech stocks. There are ways to evaluate tech stocks, price multiples, DCF, how much is the company earning, its brand value and you can't do anything in the crypto space. And they say it's really simple for a hedge fund manager to do that analysis, but today there are a lot of emerging views on how to evaluate cryptocurrencies, and this is just a simple example from uh, Vitalik Buterin, the founders of Ethereum blog, but a lot of people view basically the network effect and how people evaluate cryptocurrencies based on the volume that is traded within the crypto. So you can see how much fees are generated in Ethereum. That's about, by the way, $50 million. And you can evaluate how much people are going to hold that coin multiplied by the growth, which you can look at the history trajectory of growth and basically extrapolate from that. So there is more and more research. Itor is providing also that research to its clients to understand how to evaluate cryptocurrencies. This is not a vacuum anymore, and there are smart young people who do that. Second and most important is ignore the fucking FUD. Okay, a lot of important people are saying that Bitcoin is a scam if it's the Jamie Dimon or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates and you see these extremely smart people saying bad things about cryptocurrencies and you have to ask yourself whether it's correct or not. Are they seeing something that I don't understand? So first, they are all billionaires. They're talking from their position. They have billions of dollars. If the dollar devalues 90% again, 
against Bitcoin, that's bad for their position. Second, a lot of smart people say stupid things, okay, especially as they get older. Um, and as you can see here, people thought that the car is just a fad. If you can look, and this is actually quite interesting because it's Thomas Watson, and IBM is here presenting Watson, okay, the new AI Watson. Uh, but Watson actually said that he thinks there's only going to be five computers in the world. It's actually quite interesting because that's what we're, they're trying to build now, one of those five big computers. But they didn't believe in the whole PC revolution. And of course, uh, Steve Ballmer, who said that uh, the iPhone is not going to get any significant market share. And the point is, a lot of people are going to say that. That doesn't mean it's true. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest when you're in the woods. And last but not least, this is an extremely volatile asset class. You should risk money that you're willing to lose, and you should prepare to hodl as the CFTC chairman said, hold on for your dear life when the market goes against you. Because unfortunately, I sold a lot of Bitcoin when it was $200. So you need to understand that it's extremely volatile. And you need to understand that you need to hold it because there's a very big revolution coming. This is also connected to a big part of philosophy of irrational economics. So the point is, there can only be 500,000 people who will ever own 42 Bitcoins. Ask yourself if you want to be one of those 500,000. And you can start today. Some of you lucky guys here in the room, we actually gave a $1,000 present to set up an account in eToro and get a $1,000 free on eToro. It's under your seat. Only 10 people for each of the 10 cryptocurrencies traded on eToro will now earn $1,000 just for listening to me. Thank you very much.